Take your Bibles this morning. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah chapter 6. While you're turning, let me just give you a little bit of preparation on your seat or on the seat next to you. You should find a, um, a spiritual wellness checkup. I want you to just put that to the side for right now and save that. Also, at some point during the service, uh, you will should receive a text with a link to this same checkup, spiritual checkup, online. And so you'll have the opportunity, you can do one or the other. If you want to just do it online, you can do that. Uh, so if your phone buzzes, I give you permission for one text during the service. Uh, but we give you the option, and some of you may be more comfortable using the, the hard copy of the paper, but others will receive the text. Also, those of you who are watching by Facebook, you should see a link um, later on in the service uh, on, in the comments of the live stream that you'll be able to participate in this spiritual evaluation as well. It's good to see each one of you here this morning. I want you to hold your finger in Isaiah chapter 6, and then I also want you to find and hold a finger in Hebrews chapter 10. Isaiah chapter 6 and Hebrews chapter 10. We're going to start in Isaiah 6, but we will also be referring to some verses from Hebrews 10 that I want you to see there as well. We have been talking about the glory life. That is the life that God designed, God prepared, God intended for us to experience as believers. Not just to survive, not just to make it through the Christian life enduring, but as we endure through the glory for us to experience the glory. We saw last week that the glory life is a life of experience. It's a life in which we come into the presence of God. But if we have experienced the glory of God, then we should also exalt the glory of God. You cannot experience the glory without exalting the glory um, through your life and being changed by that experience. Anytime you find someone in Scripture who has encountered the glory of God and experienced the glory of God, you will see a difference in their life. You will see a change in their life. We think about Moses as he comes off the mountain. He has seen just a a fragment or just a a glimpse of the glory of God. And his face is shining so brightly that the people of Israel say to him, Moses, you've got to wear a veil over your face because of the glory in your face. We can't can't bear to look at you because the glory is too much. And so when Moses would be among the people, he would wear that veil because being in the presence of God enables us and empowers us as we go out into our life to exalt the glory of God through our life. I want you to see this morning, I want us to evaluate our lives. I want us to take this spiritual checkup this morning to see, am I simply living just a normal, ordinary life as a Christian? Do I just profess to be a Christian, or is the glory of God shining through my life? I want you to begin reading with me in verse 1 of Isaiah chapter 6. I'm going to read through verse 8. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain, or with two, he covered his face. With twain, he covered his feet, and with twain, he did fly. And one cried unto another, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the post of the door moved at the voice of him that spoke, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, 
For I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, and mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar. And he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this has touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin purged. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, here am I, send me. Apparently, in our day, little that we would ever think this, the mullet is making a comeback. Now, none of y'all ever expected that to be the first line after reading Isaiah 6, did you? Some of you are wondering that it ever went away. Some of you are wondering that it ever happened to start with. You remember the mullet, don't you? Some of y'all, some of y'all had one back when you had back when you had hair. You remember what they said about the mullet? It's business in the front. Now, see this: the spiritual crowd that was here at eight o'clock refused to acknowledge that they knew that. But I knew y'all. I knew this crowd would remember that. What is that? It's it's actually saying. Um, I'm one thing in one place, but don't let that fool you. I'm something different in other places. You get me in the right circumstances, and I'm not what I appear to be. Unfortunately, that's the way a lot of Christians live their lives. I guess we could call it mullet Christianity. They have their church face that they wear, but the rest of the time, they're something totally different altogether. We're Jesus... In the morning, Jesus in the evening, Jesus when the sun goes down is what we sing. But really, we're Jesus for about an hour on Sunday morning, and then we're us for the rest of the time. Is that the kind of life that we have? Is that a genuine? Is that what we expect? Is that what we should be as followers of Christ? Well, we know that's absolutely wrong. That is not the way that we are to be. It's party on Saturday, church on Sunday. I remember a number of years ago, I was was on a Saturday night, I'd been making some visits, I was um, coming back to our house, and I stopped at a convenience store to uh, get some gas, and I stood in line, and I waited, and I waited, because the lady that was in front of me was taking some time. She had a huge case, I guess 24, 36 size case of Budweiser, she had a couple of bottles of liquor, she had several cartons of of cigarettes, and she was scratching lottery tickets just as fast as she could go. And just when she would finish up, and I think, now I'm going to finally get to pay for my gas, she'd say, give me just one more. Give me just one more. So she finally, after about five minutes or more, ten minutes of this, seemed like an hour to me, I really wanted to be real spiritual and shove her out of the way and get on with my business and get home, because I had to preach the next morning. The attendant said, would you like one more? After going through quite a bit of this, and she stands there with all this stuff on the counter, she says, no, I need to save a little bit more, a little bit for the offering in the morning. <laughs> and I thought about how many of us, now we may not be to that quite that extreme, but how many of us, our lives, we, we profess to be a follower of Christ. A number of years ago, I started thinking, what is, what is the bare minimum? What do we expect What is to be expected of a follower of Christ? What can I evaluate for myself? 
Not how do I judge other people, but how do we evaluate ourselves? What are the basics? What are the things that we can say, this is what the scriptures require of us? Not what we as a church expect. Not what man, in his burdensome way, has laid it on people. This is what you should do. This is all the work you should do. This is all, these are all the things that you should do to be a good Christian. But what does the Word of God say for us? How can we evaluate ourselves? How can we look at our lives and say, am I more than just a, a, an empty shell? Am I more than just, am I more than just a Sunday face, a Sunday morning one-hour Jesus follower, or am I a true disciple of Christ? As I studied the Scriptures and I thought about that, I think there's a lot of things the Scriptures tell us that we are to do, but they fall really within three primary categories, and I want you to see these three this morning. We're going to look at this passage, and I want to ask ourselves three questions. And then at the end of the service, we'll look at our spiritual checkup as our invitation, and we'll be able to evaluate our hearts. This, this checkup is not so we can police you, so we can follow up and, and beat you over the head. This is, not, this is for us to be able to look within our own hearts and say, am I where I need to be? A Christian, every believer, every follower of Christ is expected, according to Scripture, to be involved in God-exalting worship. God-exalting worship. That is not something that is optional. That is something that is for every believer. Number two, every believer should be involved in grace-empowered growth or grace-empowered discipleship. It's not enough just to come to church on Sunday morning. We are to be followers of Christ and become more like Christ throughout the week. Some people like the worship. They enjoy hearing the choir. Man, if you weren't blessed by the choir this morning, you're... You're probably just dead and don't even know it yet because, I mean, if that doesn't bless you. But we want to come and we, we, we want the worship, but what about the growth and the discipleship? There are some who enjoy the worship and they even enjoy the discipleship. They're part of a small group. They're part of a Bible study. They're studying the scriptures themselves each day. They're wanting to grow in Christ. But a third thing that every believer is expected to do is to be involved in gospel-expressing service. Not just good deeds, but good deeds and service that are a part of proclaiming the gospel. There are those who are happy about service, but they don't really want to grow in Christ. These all three are essential. And I want you to see them this morning in Isaiah chapter 6. There's a companion passage in Hebrews chapter 10 that we'll refer to. We may go over there, but we'll certainly refer to it. But I want you to see this morning... These three things, and I want you to ask yourselves with me these questions. Question number one in our spiritual evaluation, does my worship glorify God? Does my worship glorify God? Not do I attend necessarily, though that's a part of it, but does it glorify God? This, this passage is a worship experience. It's worship that Isaiah is observing as he sees the angels continually and perpetually worshiping God. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. They point to the holiness of God. They point to the glory of God. 
But it's not just something he observes. It is something that he participates in. I want you to see that this is both public worship and it's personal worship. It's private worship. It is Isaiah before God himself. And it is Isaiah in the place, the temple, the place of public worship. And he engages in this, and this is a worship experience that glorifies God. How does it glorify God? It does two things. First, it exalts God. Holy, holy, holy. In the Hebrew language, when something is repeated three times, it means to its maximum extent. As holy as can be expressed, God is holy. But he also says the earth is full of his glory. God is exalted. And what happens when God is exalted? Isaiah is humbled. Isaiah says, woe is me. Isaiah is is bowed before the glory of God. You and I, when we come into worship, worship is never about us. Worship is about the greatness and the glory of God. And the minute that worship becomes about human beings, it ceases to be glory. But let me tell you that worship, while it should never be artificial... And it should never be manufactured. Worship should be the natural flowing response of the believer's heart when the glory of God is manifested. When the glory of God is on display, when the glory of God is manifested in our, in our minds and in our hearts and in our presence, it ought to be just the natural result. It ought to flow from within us. As we listen to the truths and the words of the songs, when we hear the truths of Scripture and it stirs our heart, Now, I'm glad that I don't worship based on how I feel. How many of you have ever come to church and you didn't really feel like worshiping? Some of you, at least one honest amen out of the whole crowd. I I would ask how many of you this morning came to church and maybe didn't feel like worshiping. Is our worship based on feeling? Absolutely not. But do we feel when we worship? Absolutely yes. We get to experience that glory of God, and the worship is the natural response. It's the natural flow. I want to ask you to turn there. Hebrews chapter 10 speaks about both of these. He speaks about the great high priest that we have, and he says there's two parts to this. He says, because we have such a high priest, let us draw near. That's personal worship. That's me coming into the presence of God. So as a believer, it is part of my evaluation. How much time do I spend in personal worship? How much time do I spend actually coming into the presence of God? But then he also speaks about that public worship in Hebrews 10. He says, because we have a high priest, let us not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. When we come together, we come together because we have a great high priest. We have a God who is worthy of our worship, and we come into his presence. So the first question that we ask ourselves to evaluate, does my worship bring glory to God? A second question is related to the second requirement or the second aspect of being a follower of Christ. Does my growth, does my discipleship bring glory to God? What happens when Isaiah engages in worship? What happens in Isaiah's heart? Well, first of all, he's humbled before God, but God begins to do a work in him. If you walk out of this service this morning, if you walk out of any service, any time, and you've enjoyed the worship, and maybe you've worshipped from your heart, but you walk out unchanged, you likely... 
you have missed what God had for you in that worship experience. We are to leave worship different than we came into it. And I don't mean just the the service as worship. I'm talking about actually engaging in worship. God does two things in Isaiah's heart. First of all, he deals with his sin. I can't come into worship. I can't truly get a glimpse of how great and holy God is without it convicting me of the sin in my heart. And Isaiah, the prophet of God, what does he say when he sees the holiness of God? He says, woe is me, for I am undone. He is humbled before God. God deals with our sin. The first step is conviction. Isaiah is made aware of his sin. Now, there are times when we come into worship and we need to be encouraged and we need God to speak truth to us to get us through the week, and that is certainly true. But there are times when coming into worship and being in a a spirit of worship should bring conviction to our hearts. And Isaiah says, woe is me. But it doesn't just stop with conviction. As you and I prepare for our revival coming up in a few weeks, I believe with all of my heart that the Holy Spirit should work in your heart and my heart. We're going to be convicted about some things. Have you ever been convicted? You know the voice of the Holy Spirit when he points out things in your life. No, I shouldn't be doing that. Yes, I should be doing this. And the Holy Spirit begins to convict us, but it can't stop with conviction. It must move us to confession. Isaiah says, woe is me, I am undone, for I am a man of unclean lips. And mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So there's conviction and there's confession, but then there's the cleansing of our sins. That's what God wants to do in our lives. God doesn't doesn't point out sin in our life because he hates us. He points out sin in our life because he loves us. He 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 knows how harmful sin is for us. And he wants, he wants to eliminate it. He wants to clean it out of our lives. And so the angel brings the coal from off the altar, and he touches Isaiah's lips, and he says, your sin is taken away, your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is purged. Don't you love the promise in 1 John 1, 9? If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to what? Cleanse us. He cleanses us. He cleans it out. That's what God is doing, and he does that in Isaiah's life. He is working in Isaiah's life to make him more as he should be. He's making him holy as he is holy. But he doesn't just deal with the sin. Part of our growth, part of our discipleship that brings glory to God is also increasing and growing in our knowledge of God. Isaiah learns about God. Isaiah comes into this as a prophet of God, but now he knows God not just in a mental way and just in an understanding way. He knows him in an experiential knowledge. He has encountered God, and he has learned a deeper truth and a deeper understanding about God. The encounters of people in the Scriptures, the stories and the accounts that we hear, their encounters with God are never just to have an encounter with God. They are for that person to know God in a deeper way. You take Job, for example. And Job gets to the end of the book after going through all he goes through. Job loses his children. He loses his possessions. His wife turns against him. And then he has to sit and listen to his friends for for 30-something chapters tell him why he's wrong. Probably one of the greatest trials he went through. And he gets to the end of it and he says, God... I had heard about you with my ears, but now I have seen you with my eyes. It's one thing to know about God. It's another thing to have experienced God, to have seen God. 
And Isaiah sees God. I saw also the Lord high and lifted up. Other prophets had many visions. You read through Ezekiel and he had vision after vision after vision. This is the only vision that Isaiah had. But Isaiah sees the Lord and he comes to know the Lord in his holiness and in his glory. Holy, holy, holy. The whole earth is full of his glory. Are you glorifying God by growing spiritually? Or are you the same believer that you were six months ago or a year ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago? Is there growth taking place in your life? Grace-empowered growth is an essential. So ask yourself the question, is my discipleship, is my spiritual growth bringing glory to God? Question number one, does my worship glorify God? Question number two, does my discipleship glorify God? Question number three, does my service glorify God? What does Isaiah do? As soon as he encounters this experience of God, God says, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And Isaiah says, well, Lord, if you'll give me a detailed job description of what you want me to do, I'll pray about it and consider it. And if I feel like my gift sets are suited to that, then I'll do it. Is that what Charles Bible said? That's not what he said, was it? He doesn't even know. And if you read the rest of the chapter, don't read it right now, you can read it later. If you read the rest of the chapter, it wasn't a great job. God pretty much says they're not going to listen to you and you're going to have to preach until everybody's destroyed and nothing's going to go well. It's not going to be an effect. It's not going to be a successful ministry. After, Joe, after Isaiah has said what? Here am I, send me. Here am I, send me. Service is a key part of our lives. And not merely just doing good deeds, though good deeds are a part of it. It's ministry and service that communicates the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's key for every one of us. You know, there's a lot of us that are perfectly happy, and I'll be honest, there's been times in my life when I was this way, perfectly content to come to church, enjoy the worship service, go to a Sunday school class or a small group, have my daily devotions, have my... But to actually do anything? Not so much. But every one of us... Yes, there are those who are called to specific areas of service and specific tasks of service. I do not minimize that at all. That is a biblical truth. But every believer is called to serve. Every believer is gifted to serve. Every member of this church, every regular attender of this church has some abilities and gifts that God can use to serve others. And through that service to communicate the message of the gospel, to open up doors of opportunity for the gospel. Every one of us is required to do all three of these. When we think about, oh, what should I do? What, what should I do as a Christian? What makes a good Christian? There's a lot of things we can try to think through, a lot of details, but it really boils down to these three. Worship that glorifies God. Growth, being a disciple that glorifies God and service, ministry for others, for God, that glorifies God. Let me read to you a few verses from Hebrews 10. You don't have to turn there, but I want you to see what the New Testament speaks about this. In Hebrews 10 and verse 22, 
He says, let us draw near. Let us draw near to who? To where? To the presence of God. Not forsaking, verse 25, the assembling of ourselves together. There's our worship. We're expected to worship. What about my, what about my growth? What about my discipleship? What about the, the cleansing in my life? He says, let us draw near in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. There's our growth, our discipleship in him. And then my service, what about service? Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Do you see those three key elements that should be in every single one of our lives? Like individuals who would look at a Christian life and say, I do all these things so I'm okay, and maybe miss some important things. Sometimes as a church, we can look and say, well, we're doing pretty good. We've got a a good crowd. There's a good crowd here this morning. We're, we're coming back from, from the quarantine and from COVID faster than some churches that we know of, and we're doing pretty good. The offerings are good, and we're, we're doing some mission work, and we're not satisfied with that evaluation. Why are we not? Because as your pastors, our staff, and your pastors, our goal, our God-given task from Ephesians chapter 4 is to help equip you, to help bring you to maturity. And this morning, our desire is for you to look within your heart and say, where, I, where am I on these things, on these 